Hey, yo, 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 and welcome to the Tulsa Bitcoin Meetup. Grip, how's your week going, man? Uh, obviously, it's a little busy. I'm taking this one from inside the car. I wish I could be at home, but uh, it's going well, man. How about you? It's going good, dog. We're, we're here in Tulsa. We've got another Bitcoin Meetup, the August Meetup. I'm hanging out with my friend Charlie over here. I don't know. You guys, got, you guys can't see him on the stream now here, but dude, we got a guest today, and I'm excited about the guest that we got today. Um, you know... Charlie talked about it's maybe sad hour in the mining world, uh, and that may be true. But as we saw earlier, uh, those Bitcoin blocks, they just keep popping out. Right. Uh, that's good news. But we've got none other than Dennis Porter himself here with us today. And I'm excited to jump in and get to learn a little bit more about what he's been up to. Um, some of his takes on the Bitcoin mining world. I think he's got some interesting stuff there. Um, I don't want to wait any longer. I want to bring this guy on. Dennis. Welcome to Tulsa, Oklahoma here for the August Bitcoin Meetup. How are you, brother? I'm doing awesome. Thank you, Nick and Griff, for having me on the show. Excited to be doing... Uh, this will be my first official time zooming in to a, to a meetup. I've been dreaming of this day, so uh, <laughs> glad to have the first one happen in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I have a lot of focus for the work that I've been doing recently. Beautiful. Uh, well, I, I wish you could see some of the people in the crowd. We did get a wave in the back. You can't see, but we, we got a couple of waves back here. <laughs> um, Dennis, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. I know that, um, you know, we'll probably get into what the Satoshi Action Fund is, uh, but give us kind of your overview of who, who is Dennis? What are you doing? I'm sure a lot of people here know who you are, but for the people that don't know you, who is Dennis Porter? Yeah, uh, I'm just a humble sat stacker like everybody else, but I became a Bitcoiner uh, in 2017, uh, learned about Bitcoin from a friend of mine. And he told me it was perfectly anonymous internet money. And I said, uh, you know, bullshit. Uh, and I went to go prove him wrong. And when I went to go prove him wrong, I did find uh, things that I was very attracted to. Now, I did find that Bitcoin was not perfectly anonymous internet money, but there were some things I discovered that really kept my attention. And uh, quickly after that, I discovered Andreas Antonopoulos. And just after that point, I was all the way in uh, and obsessed with Bitcoin. These are some of the original uh, Bitcoin mining machines that I bought back in 2017, 2018. I started mining Bitcoin almost immediately once I found out what it was. I just wanted to add something to the Bitcoin network. I wanted to add value. You hear people talk a lot about adding value to the network. And so I tried as best as I could, uh, started to scale up my you know garage operation, taught myself how to uh, do electrical work, and then quickly taught myself that I never want to do electrical work ever again after almost killing myself a couple times. Uh, always hire a professional for your electrical work. Uh, that's the, the we, one. We are getting <laughs> some nods and some laughs. Yeah, the, that's the one note I can give anybody who wants to get into Bitcoin mining. Um, so from there, I was like, man, I'm going to go all in. This is it. This is my future. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a large scale Bitcoin miner. Well, the big crash came and I uh, also had, you know, my uh, partner at the time, who's still my gal today, whispering in my ear being like, hey, if you lose all your money on this, like it's not going to go super well for us. So made the decision to pause my uh, massive scale up operation of Bitcoin mining and just kind of continue to learn and educate myself about Bitcoin and try to wait and be patient for the moment or opportunity that I could get in uh, deeper into the space. Some years went by all the way up to about 2020. Uh, and then eventually we saw Michael Saylor jumping in. And that was when I was like, oh man, this thing is really heating up and this might be the last opportunity. I was getting serious FOMO over like how to just be involved with Bitcoin in any way, shape or form possible. So 
I decided to jump on Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse, for those of you that know, is the, the app that existed and hardly exists anymore now today uh, before Twitter spaces started to break open. I just started talking about Bitcoin. Quickly realized I had a massive uh, uh, fear of public speaking. I thought I had one, but then I really realized I had one. But I just was like, I don't care. I'm going to overcome my fear of public speaking. I'm going to advance my knowledge to a point where it just becomes very natural for me to speak about Bitcoin. So did that, um, accomplished that, launched a show, launched a podcast, with which, by the way, congratulations on the one-year anniversary of your show. That is... Uh, they're not as easy as people think they are. There's a lot of work that goes into them, a lot of effort. So uh, keep, keep doing it. Uh, keep it up. From there, I decided to take some of my political experience that I've had in the past. So I was a campaign manager. I was trained to be a campaign manager and do campaigns. I've also done opposition research, a bunch of other boring political stuff, with it, which if you like politics might be interesting. But most people in the Bitcoin space tend to you know, be a little bit anti-politics for the most part. So from there, I've been just been taking my focus on politics combined with my love of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, and I've absolutely directed it at 100% on trying to advocate for Bitcoin mining. And what that means is we spend at Satoshi Action Fund almost all of our time educating policymakers and regulators on the benefits of Bitcoin mining, everything from its ability to be used as a grid stabilizer to enhancing renewables to cleaning up the environment, providing high paying jobs and many other things that we are just starting to understand that it's capable of. Then from there, we craft model policy. So boring, more boring stuff. We craft bills and we say, hey, this is like a framework for a bill you should pass, right? Like this is something that you can do to pass to attract Bitcoin miners to your state. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's where we are. We're on, in the process of crafting two pieces of legislation. One's a microgrid bill and one is an orphaned oil well bill. We have others in the pipeline and we're really excited about what the next six months and year has for in store for Satoshi Action Fund. Can you just explain a little more like what orphaned oil wells are and like why they're so important to you guys? I mean, obviously it's a big thing, but I think it would be good for everybody to kind of understand some of this mining stuff because it gets real complicated, obviously. Yeah, it does. A lot of this stuff is complicated. So orphaned oil wells are oil and gas wells that were drilled originally to either get oil or gas. And they were abandoned at some point by the operator. And when they get abandoned by the operator, the state takes possession or took control or management of the well, kind of just depending on the jurisdiction you live in and the rules, which are vastly different uh, on the state level. And the state level is where we focus our efforts, by the way. We kind of stay away from uh, DC, and you, we can get into that in a little bit. But uh, these wells are orphaned. They're left to the state. Some are emitting small amounts of gases and methane into the atmosphere. Some are emitting quite a bit. Um, it can range dramatically depending on the well. And they sit there emitting for indefinitely until they're plugged. And so there's been a lot of focus from the federal government and various other organizations to plug these wells, but it's very expensive. Uh, it's time consuming and logistically difficult. So it, in the past, they haven't been able to accomplish the plugging of over, there's almost like 3.2 million, they say is like the, the estimate, which could actually be upwards of 10 million um, orphaned oil wells in North America, predominantly from Texas up through kind of the um, north of Texas, through Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas. And then if you shift to the right, it's over there kind of like in the Rust Belt area as well, kind of panning into New York. But it's a massive environmental problem. Uh, not only does is methane up to 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide for warming the atmosphere, these gases are just bad in general. They, uh, not only does methane flammable, some of the other gases that are released along with the methane 
um, are dangerous for human beings. And so there's been this focus to solve this problem. It's been difficult to solve in the past. There is some federal funding that's coming its way, but we think Bitcoin miners are the ultimate solution to going after the worst wells that emit the most amount of gas. Man, that's interesting stuff. You know, you, you talked a little bit um, about some of, you know, all of these million different ways that Bitcoin mining can improve and um, I guess make better what this current situation is that we're in. Um, you know, somebody from the outside looking in may look at Bitcoin mining and say, yeah, you guys are boiling the oceans. We got to quit doing this. Right. And we all were like, OK, all right. So this guy hasn't read anything. Right. Um, what were some of the things on the front end that you looked at and were like, wow, this is incredible. And having dove into those things, what are some things now that you look at that are maybe way down the rabbit hole that you're like, wow, this is still incredible. So, you know, you do have uh, the ability for Bitcoin mining to clean up the environment. Um, it can clean up methane from orphaned oil wells. It can clean up methane from landfills. I don't know if anybody's been following Adam Wright, what he's been doing with Vespian Energy in California. He actually went into one of the most highly regulated states in the country and was able to set up or secure a location to mine methane from landfills, which is totally nuts, right? And uh, so you have that. You have people doing it with agriculture as well. Methane from, you know, cow farts, which funny enough, uh, when I, my, the one, was it two trimesters that I spent in public uh, college, I actually wrote a paper about cow farts and how they were the worst uh, <laughs> contributor for methane uh, currently at the time was the kind of understanding. So funny, funny side note, but that's one big benefit. There's another area though, that Satoshi Action Fund and myself have been deeply exploring. And it's this idea that Bitcoin mining can help to stabilize the grid. It can help to enhance renewables. And there are all sorts of different ways that this can be applied. It could be applied very close to the point of generation, let's say a, a power company or a utility. And again, all of this depends on the jurisdiction, the regulations, you know, kind of what the public utility commissions uh, have set forth. But the basic premise is that if you have a thermal power plant and you're having to respond to supply and demand shocks that are either created by the end rate user, uh, power user, or are created by the intermittency problem that is that is created by renewable energy. So most people don't know this, but you know, renewable energy is an intermittent load. Uh, it becomes very clearly obvious why, because why they they only create power when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining. This forces oftentimes uh, thermal plants or hydro plants to have to uh, cycle up or cycle down to respond to the excess power that is created by renewable energy assets. Well, uh, instead of doing that, instead of cycling up and down, you could essentially take Bitcoin miners and place them, co-locate them at the point of uh, generation. So you're taking that responsibility of managing and stabilizing the grid away from the plant and putting it on the Bitcoin miner. And one benefit of this outside of just monetizing excess energy is for thermal plants in particular. When thermal plants cycle up and down, the transition from excuse me, from uh, steam to water, when they're turning, when the steam is turning back into water and it's hitting the blades at you know incredible speeds, it does it has wear and tear that it performs on those those uh, turbines. And so if you come in and you say, well, instead of having the thermal plant power up and down, you can have the Bitcoin miners power up and down, monetize the excess energy, shut down when there isn't enough and help to keep rates low for rate payers. You're also reducing wear and tear 
on these turbines inside these thermal plants. So that's one like really far down the rabbit hole, like niche little way that Bitcoin mining benefits uh, the grid and benefits power generation. And I could go on, but I'll, I'll take a pause there for a moment. That's so it's, it's kind of funny, but Bitcoin is almost one of those things that's too good to be true. And that was one of those little rabbit hole topics where it's like, yeah, so Bitcoin's still too good to be true. Do you have problems when you're talking to these politicians with that, like in and of itself, like you explain Bitcoin and they're like, there's like, yeah, that, that just, that's just, that's not. Yeah. True. Like, so this guy loves this product or this guy's making some money <laughs> off of this, you know, like, do you ever have that problem or what's it like talking to, you know, just different, different people at the political level? Do they so, have a want for it, a need for it? Do you know, do they understand it? What's your, so yeah, it's a great question. So Satoshi action, and I turned my fan on, by the way, I warned you guys earlier, really, this room gets hot. So I, I got, let me know if it gets too annoying. <laughs> uh, uh, the, I don't have very many problems when I talk to policymakers and regulators. I've been doing it for quite a bit of time now, but also Satoshi Action Fund in particular doesn't really waste time trying to talk to people that aren't interested in learning about the benefits of Bitcoin mining. All, we will have conversations with them if they're interested. It's kind of a, you know, a Satoshi quote, right? What it's like, if, if you don't get it, like I don't have time to explain it to you. Like if you're not interested in learning this kind of the premise, like we're not going to waste time trying to, force you to get on board with us there are plenty of that individuals. like deserve bitcoin at the price you buy it it's, it's exactly kind of in line with that so there is this public perception media perception that a lot of politicians hate bitcoin mining and they're coming for bitcoin mining and yeah that's true to some extent you have elizabeth warren you got brad sherman uh you got jared huffman you know writing letters to the epa telling them to regulate maybe ban bitcoin mining and that is a small subsect of group of people. You even have like some people in New York coming after it. Most people either haven't made up their minds yet or, or are in fact very pro Bitcoin and pro Bitcoin mining. So what we do is we try to go to those states and those regions where people see the possible benefits and are interested in the benefits. In fact, when I meet someone who hasn't made their mind up about Bitcoin mining and I tell them that Bitcoin mining can bring high paying jobs it can be bring infrastructure investment. It can stabilize the grid. It can clean up the environment and it can enhance renewables. They're just like, tell me no more. What bill shall I pass to bring these miners to my town? And that's the, that's kind of the success that we've been having. So we're active in 18 States. I would say we're highly engaged in about four or five States, Oklahoma being one of them. We're talking to multiple uh, state senators and obviously people that are at this event are aware of some of the work that we're doing in Oklahoma Oklahoma has the potential to be first in the nation on some of the work that we are doing at Satoshi Action Fund. And we're really excited about the potential to be working with folks there. Um, but no, we don't really have any, we haven't had any difficulty and nobody really seems to question it, especially because myself and our team members, when we talk about Bitcoin mining, I mean, we have energy experts, we have grid experts, we have regulatory experts. So we're not coming at this from like, oh, I love Bitcoin. Listen to me talk about Bitcoin. This is... We have people on our team with decades of experience in these industries talking to state reps who oftentimes have to like understand a vast number of issues. So when we come in, they're just like it's huge too. It's a it's a with an authority. We're not just coming in as pro Bitcoin fans, which you know, 2017, that's where I was. I was a Bitcoin fan. I wanted to tell people about Bitcoin. Now with the team that I've assembled, it's a completely different conversation. Yeah, I know you're awesome. a, I know you're a big grassroots guy. Um, and what you're doing, I think, is freaking awesome. What about 
the, the plebs, if you will, the people that are here today, maybe the, the regular people out there that just want to buy some Bitcoin. What, how do people get involved in this? How do we how does everybody else get involved in this? Right. Because I think Bitcoin is a huge bottom up type thing. Right. It's not. Absolutely. Top down, and that's that's a huge paradigm shift because currently the system that we operate in is top down. Um, what, what's your thought on that? Because I know you're a big grassroots guy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've done a lot of grassroots organization in the past. It's a very effective way of approaching politics. Um, there's even a saying in the political world that uh, politics is local. So try to focus on the local perspective. DC does a really good job of like forcing us to pay attention to them, but it's one of the worst places to go if you really do want to have an impact. Hey, now if you're like a you know, trillionaire, or you are one of the largest industries like the medical industry or the military industrial complex, of course, you're going to go to DC. You can be very impactful. Uh, you can have a, a significant impact on the conversations in DC. But just as a comparison, like $3.7 trillion were spent on lobbying last year by all industries combined. Crypto, like broadly, this includes Coinbase. This includes the Ethereum Foundation. This includes all the major exchanges, right? And all the major companies spent $10 million. So it's like, it's not even close. We're not even close. Like we're lucky we even like are such an active online community, um, especially in the Bitcoin space. We're lucky that uh, proof of work is something that we found to be very valuable and we're willing to defend it. But the, the seat at the table is minuscule. And we as proof of work miners are a tiny, tiny, fraction of that. And I don't mean that to disappoint people or like upset people, but it's more of like a reality check. Like, okay, we are not resource heavy. We don't have billions of dollars to spend on lobbying. But what we do have is people that are highly engaged, highly entrenched, and willing to go fight for Bitcoin and proof of work. And what I would encourage people to do, if you want to get active and have an impact, is go talk to your st local state rep. Go talk to your local state senator. Just to, you know, if you get a chance to talk to a member of Congress, great. Try to get their attention, you know, try to point them in the right way. But they are so distracted with so many other big issues that it's hard to really force them to focus on the issue at hand. However, that being said, if you happen to uh, find a member of Congress who has a giant Bitcoin mining operation in their in their uh, backyard, that's someone that's good to focus on. Right. Because that's what, exactly what we did with Congressman Pete Sessions. So Congressman Pete Sessions, um, he is I think it's a 32nd district in Texas. But we started educating him on the benefits of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. And now he's one of the most like outspoken pro-Bitcoin members of Congress. But guess what? The guy has the Winstone facility in his backyard. It's a 750 megawatt mining facility, currently the largest in North America for now. Um, so he has an incentive to be interested in this issue. So outside of that, I would really just start, have conversations. Join your blockchain association. Join your miners association. Join any political organization on the local level that is focused on having an impact. And when I say sometimes people get pissed at me, they're like, well, I don't want to join a blockchain association. That's like crypto. That's blockchain. Like that's that's not my thing. I'm a Bitcoiner. OK, I, I agree with you. But what you need to do is try to make that blockchain association or that organization that does do Bitcoin focus more on Bitcoin and focus more on proof of work. And if you don't like it, if they really are so focused on protecting things you don't like or you don't care about, you think it's unethical, start your own organization, please. I would love it. Uh, Satoshi Action Fund is always looking for organizations to partner with. We are highly active in conversations with blockchain associations, miner associations, and on the federal side, the Digital Chamber and the Blockchain Association. 
on trying to make sure that we're staying connected with what's going on in those areas, because we can't be everywhere. We're a startup, we're a new organization and we need people on the ground. So we need people in Tulsa, Oklahoma to be a part of their local political movement so that when we come and say, Hey, this is the piece of policy that we have crafted and we've done it with experts from mining, energy, utility, regulatory, like, and you know that there's a Bitcoiner, Dennis Porter, like leading the charge. Like when we come in, we say, Hey, are you interested in this policy? You guys have the relationships and the ability to help push the, the needle or help push the ball forward. Because if we come in, we fly in, I'm from Oregon. They're going to be like, who's this guy from Portland, Oregon? I mean, he's probably like Antifa or something like, right. Like, like get him out of here. Like we, we don't trust this guy. That's, but that's, that's common in politics. Like you need to I don't trust you here in Tulsa. <laughs> yeah. You, you need to, um, uh, uh, you need to have people that are from the area who understand the issue because politicians are very unlikely to listen to people from outside the state unless they have a big old bag of money in their hand. Dennis, that was really good. I want to shift gears. I want you to hit on one topic real quick. We got just a few minutes here left with you. All this stuff that you're talking about is all about lowering and lowering and lowering your time preference. How has Bitcoin lowered your time preference personally? How has that actually impacted you as Dennis Porter the human being, not just the Bitcoin activist? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's, it's hard sometimes to have a perception on how much my time preference has adjusted. But one of the things that I think really has impacted me when I've understood Bitcoin is this ability to think beyond the downturn. Oftentimes we see the downturn. It's right in front of us. We become consumed by it. I remember when markets would go down, just like, oh no, this is horrible. Now the mindset is build in the bear market, right? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing to get ready for the next cycle? What are you doing to get ready for the next pump? In 2017, 2018, when it crashed, I didn't have that mindset. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to pause everything and wait and see what happens. This cycle, I'm doing quite the opposite. I am actively building, actively pursuing and actively engaging in any way, shape, or form I can in the political arena to protect and defend Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. And so that when the cycle comes back up, we all know what's going to happen, right? Things are going to explode. Uh, all the building that I've done in the bear market is going to pay off and all my efforts are going to be rewarded. Because funny enough, something about the Bitcoin network and this industry is when you add value to Bitcoin, somehow Bitcoin finds a way to add value back to your life. And that might not might be money, right? It could be money. That's usually the obvious one. Um, could be the value of your Bitcoin going up. Uh, it could also be relationships. It could be connections and it could be um, skills that you've built in the bear market. So I would encourage people, if you want to get in, into Bitcoin, definitely don't do it for the money for the, in the bear market. That's for sure. Um, but, but have that long-term mindset about how even though it's a downturn right now, like you should be trying everything you can to build. Because when the bull market comes, like I'll tell you what, man, like, it's so distracting. Like you can't, you can't even get off Twitter. There's too much going on. Everybody wants you to go on a show and do podcasts. And like, I'm on spaces every day, like trying to stay caught up with what the hell's going on. And there's a reason why I, you know, I almost, this is what they, people said this in 27, 2018, when I was a new Bitcoiner, they're like, Oh, thank God we're in the bear market. Like I'm so, so tired of having to like be on Twitter all day and Reddit back then was big. And I, I'm, I need a break. And now I'm, I'm starting to appreciate that. Like, oh, I can get a little bit of a break and focus on the projects that are kind of key to my future. Beautiful. Griff, do you have any last thoughts here? 
before we no, I know, I, no, I know we're getting to these questions. I feel like we need to have Dennis on again because I have like a hundred questions, but yeah. we didn't, we didn't get to get into the intro into our normal podcast, but it always really caps off with one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. So I guess before we get to the other questions, mine is like, what does one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin mean to you now that you're five years into this? Yeah. Five years. Wow. It's crazy. Um, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, you know, really just plays into that idea that Bitcoin can't be debased. Um, and I think that that's such an important part of the design of Bitcoin. We have seen throughout history that every time human beings have been able to debase money, that they have. And every single time that they have debased money, it spirals out of control and civilizations end up collapsing because of it. Wars break out because of it. Um, you don't need to look very far back in history, but you can go very far back. You can go back to the Roman Empire. When they drove the value of the denarii to the ground, they had such a large militarized border, they weren't able to pay the soldiers anymore to guard it. And so they, that was part and part, part of the reason why their empire collapsed. If you go to uh, the African nations, they were using glass agri beads. These, they had primitive glassmaking abilities at the time, even though they were advanced in many other ways. The Europeans came south, knew how to make glass and debase that currency to nothing to the point where people were actually willing to sell themselves to the Europeans because they were thought they were acquiring so much wealth in return, which is, if you think about it, one of the most grotesque forms of monetary debasement. The, the, the last one that I'll point out here is the rise of Nazi Germany. The Weimar Republic printed uh, the mark into infinity. Their economy collapsed. They pointed the finger at the Jews and went on, went to war. Like some of the absolute worst events in human history have happened because of debasement. So when you say one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, like you're saying you're ending society, societal collapse that is caused by monetary debasement, which is probably the most important part about Bitcoin. Because at the end of the day, people say, oh, this invention is more important. This discovery is more important. Um, no, I think that in fact, Bitcoin's ability to not be debased is one of the most important inventions in human history. Because think of all of the advancements and the innovation that has been lost because of societal collapse. So in a sense, Bitcoin, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin means we are firmly protecting ourselves from ever allowing us to debase currencies to zero and collapsing economies and collapsing civilization to the point where we lose all of the innovation that we've worked so hard to acquire. Hell yeah. Mic drop. Well, Dennis, it has been an absolute pleasure to have the you. People on. are I clapping. Know, I don't know if you can hear the clapping here from everybody, but um, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. You are always welcome back to the Tulsa Bitcoin meetups, um, Dennis. We got to have you on again because we can just keep going. But brother, we're, we're going to let you get out of here. Um, we'll shoot you a text or something. We'll talk after this. But thank you for coming on, man. Of course, happy to have you uh, come back on anytime. Let me know, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, absolutely. Brother. Griff, uh, wow, huh? That was pretty good. Really good. Charlie, you got any, you got any ad? No, no, I was, uh, Ed, let's hear it for Nick and Griff, everybody. How about these guys? Nick, tell me a bit about your, about yourself on the podcast. Uh, yes, we started the podcast. It's funny. Uh, so Griff actually was the first Bitcoin guy. Um, I worked in traditional finance for 16 months and this guy's in my ear talking about, man, this internet money, this Bitcoin. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I thought this dude was lost his mind. Um, I left that and some whatever was removed from my eyes and I dove down the rabbit hole and I was like, Oh, okay. So this does make sense. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, well, I think we spent, I think we spent three or four months talking on the phone for like two, three hours every other day. And uh, I was like, dude, we got to like, we got to tell more people about this, you know, because at the time I didn't know any of this was going on that and how, how long has the Tulsa Bitcoin meetup been going on? Three years, uh, consistently a year and a half. Yeah. So, so consistently a year and a half, three years, give or take, um, didn't know any of this stuff was going on. I was like, I got to get this out. And we started the podcast, uh, the 8th of January was the first upload. And uh, we've gone every single Saturday since. And we've had a lot of great guests on. We've had Charlie on. That was one of my favorite episodes. And um, we just keep plugging away. And man, I'll tell you what, the more that I dive in, the more that I learn, the more I'm like, man, I actually don't really understand this whole thing at all. So and I'm sure you guys can relate to that.